Well, I want to start by saying thank you so much to Chris for guiding us through prayer at the start of our service. It's important to stop for just a moment to remember, to support, and to pray for our community and for our world. Justice, love, compassion, they're all causes worth standing up for. And Jesus stood up for them in love, and he teaches us to do the same. So again, great way to start our service, and thank you. We're going to continue this week, today, in our family series here at Crosswinds. And we've looked at what it means to find oneness with, with God as moms, um, oneness in our marriages, and even in our singleness. And last week, Craig taught us that the real win is growing in Christ while making him known and making disciples all along the way. So even though in this time that we're in, where we're not meeting together on campus, that win remains the same. So this week, as we continue in our family series, we would be remiss, I must say, if we didn't take time to discuss all the aspects of family. Today we touch on a topic that by its very nature includes hurt and includes heartache. Today we're going to look at the topic of divorce. Divorce carries with it a unique stigma that reveals itself in shame and in guilt. Now, as do all the topics that we've talked about here during this series, this one also has so many facets that we could talk about. Right at the top, however, I must acknowledge that if someone is or has been in an abusive relationship, first of all, my heart breaks for them. And I encourage you to seek help right away. If you are enduring abuse, I also want you to know that it is not your fault and it is not a part of God's plan for your life. So please, I encourage you to seek help and to get help through this time. It is too difficult a thing to do alone. My hope today is that we would focus on the individual after divorce kind of the what happens now scenario. Before you think this doesn't pertain to you, I want you to remember that many have experienced divorce or have a family member or have a friend, know someone who has gone through a divorce. The statistics on this are all over the board, depending on what parameter you use. So there's someone in your life that you know who has gone through this difficult time. There's definitely some theological questions and some differences of opinion here. And again, I can't possibly address all of those things in the short time that I have here with you today. But I can address a few of the most important ones. First, how does the individual who has struggled through the pain and heartache of divorce find now that wholeness through a oneness with God? How do we, the church family, walk alongside them through their pain and their hurt and their healing? And how can one who has gone through this time learn to lean into his love and his grace instead of distancing themselves in the midst of that particular struggle? Listen to what one author um, I read said. They said, suffering refines the character 
like fire refines gold. True enough, but only because God is leaning the refining process. He is initiating the change in our lives. Listen to Isaiah 43 too. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. This verse gives us hope as we rely on that refining power that only comes from God to be able to truly transform us through any struggle, to become that faithful servant that he has called us to be because no change is too difficult for God. Would you join me for just a moment? I'm going to pray over this message as we begin. Lord, we do thank you so much uh, for your healing power in our lives. We thank you that you are the great redeemer. You are the one who can transform us into that servant that you created, Lord, uh, to glorify you and to live a life uh, in abundance. So, Lord, as we go through this most difficult topic here today, I just pray for your guidance and your wisdom. And for those who are listening, Lord, um, this is a topic uh, that, that hurts many people, even people around them um, in their own lives. And so, Lord, we lift this up to you and we ask for your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. We want, we're going to go ahead and start right from the very beginning, if you will. Before there can be a divorce, there has to be a marriage. Now, what does Scripture teach us about that? Scripture says that the two shall become one. Listen to what Genesis 2.24 teaches us. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Remember in the beginning, the woman was made from the bone of Adam's side. So they began as the same flesh. And in the marriage, the two will join together, reminiscent again of the one flesh mentioned right in the very beginning. We see this idea symbolized in a unity ceremony at a wedding, where these two separate jars of sand, if you will, two different colors, are combined, symbolizing two different lives, individual lives that are joined together to create one. The point being, once the two sands are joined together, once they're combined, it is impossible to separate them in their, in their original colors. They will never be what they once were. They will now be forever changed, forever different. Once two have joined together in marriage, this commitment changes the two in the very same way. They can never again be separated and be the same people, the same individuals that they were before they came into the marriage relationship. They have been changed, now unique in this new relationship together. It is impossible to separate the two lives that have been joined together without each one of those people in the separation taking a piece of the other with them. A separation then creates a scar. It creates a tear in those two lives and leaves that imprint on even the most amicable of separations, even on the most um, uh, friendly, if you will, hard term to even consider here, scenario, there is a scar that is created. 
And that scar is covered oftentimes with guilt and with shame. Now, we may not be able to see that scar from the outside as onlookers, but that scar is very visible to our hearts, to the heart of the one who is experiencing the struggle in their life. That scar can cause us to shy away from other relationships in our life as well, even cause us to hide from our most important relationship, the one with our Father in heaven. If we let it, it can make us weary within our lives. It can leave us weary. And a weary soul is not an active soul. A weary soul is not a growing soul. And a weary soul certainly is not a joyful soul. So let's consider what it is that leaves us weary. What we thought we had dreamed for our future has changed. There's a deep sense of loss that takes place. I haven't even heard some refer to it as a death um, when they consider the loss that takes place in their life from divorce. And that makes us weary. We had envisioned traveling this bumpy road of life with someone who would help buffer the struggles that we would experience, someone who would make us feel safe, make us feel confident, someone that we could lean on, someone that we could grow with, someone that we could celebrate the joys of life with. Now, when we look ahead, we may feel just simply alone. I think it um, kind of brings into uh, our perspective the sense of a loneliness that we can feel even when we're in a crowd. Even when we're at the dinner table of our family, there's a sense of aloneness, of loneliness that begins to take over, and it makes us weary. When something unknown replaces what we know, it can leave us anxious, and it can leave us afraid, because the unknown can be scary. And again, it leaves us weary. So if we stopped right there and stayed in that weariness, it would eventually have its way in our lives, certainly holding us back from any type of future that we could have envisioned. But I'm here to share with you that the harsh realities of divorce will definitely and should definitely make us pause, but they don't have to make us stop. We will require time to grieve because it's a part of the healing process. But we cannot live in the grief. We must only travel through it on our way to restoration. A divorce is a loss that will change us. But can we choose to embrace some of those positive changes that we've got to experience as we travel through that time of healing? Because we will need to embrace those as we seek the healing that we will need to find in our lives only through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a choice that we must make. In this separation, what you thought was this whole entity, this new life, is now fractured. Divorce, the pain and the hurt that comes alongside of it, I will tell you, was never intended to be a part of God's plan for us. So again, let me just take a second and travel back to the beginning. Those fractures in the original plan began right in the very beginning of time. God never desired that, desired that Adam and Eve would disobey, right? And that they would eat from the knowledge, from the tree of the knowledge of good 
and evil, but they did. In the very beginning, God told them the consequences. This is in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you, you shall surely die. And so what did the Father in heaven do? He showed them mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And he showed them grace. Grace is getting that which we don't deserve. The consequences of their actions in scripture tells us what he had shared with them was death. But instead, our father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the place of death. Their life, our life now, would never be the same. In mercy, they would have a future. They did not receive what they deserved. Death would not be victorious. And if they chose to receive it, in grace, they would receive what they did not deserve. They would receive forgiveness, and they would receive life. Similarly, God never intended that divorce would be a part of the plan. But we disobey. Someone or both in a marriage relationship, decides to go their own way, decides to seek their own desires. We cause hurt. Or sometimes, in the case of abuse, again, we are hurt at no fault of our own. I cannot stress that enough, at no fault of our own. And what does the Father in heaven do in this scenario? He shows us his abounding mercy. And he offers us his sufficient grace because he sent his son, Jesus, to take our place. So what you thought was whole, this marriage, true, it's now fractured. But I ask you to consider this. Our true wholeness was never meant to be found in anyone but Jesus Christ. Our true wholeness was never meant to be found in anyone but Jesus Christ himself not even in your spouse. And don't get me wrong here, there is a oneness with our spouse that cannot and should not be a part of any other relationship here on earth. But our wholeness, that is found only in Jesus. When we see wholeness in our unity with the Father through Jesus, then yes, we pause to grieve the sorrow that we experience. And yes, we pause to rest from that weariness that we have had to endure. And we pause to heal because there is a scar that must be handled delicately at that separation. And then through God's grace, we receive strength. And through him, because of the strength that he provides to us, we can continue on. If we seek restoration in any other source, in a rebound relationship, in gossip, in anger, in justification through vengeance, in a substance that takes our mind off the struggle, in one of a thousand self-help books, self-help books that you'll find on the shelf. We may find temporary relief from some of those resources, but we will not find true healing. The true healing comes through the love of God himself, through his mercy and through his grace. So when our wholeness is in Christ, it changes how we view the broken edges 
that can surround our lives. The scars can become memories, but because of God's healing, those scars don't have the power to limit any longer who we were created to be. Now, I love analogies. And so this is an an analogy that we see within Scripture. One of my favorite analogies that I read in God's word is the one about the pot. Listen to Isaiah 64, 8. It says, but now, O Lord, you are the father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So what is clay anyways? It's just dirt and water mixed together. And when we take that dirt and water and we mix it together, it can make some beautiful pieces. So this clay was used to make pots in biblical times, and those um, particular uh, pots could be used for a variety of different things in the time of Scripture. But we see clay also right in the very beginning. So let's go back there one more time. In the beginning, God formed Adam from what? The dust of the ground. That's in Genesis 2-7, from clay and water. Why is it then that the Apostle Paul refers to our bodies in the same way as jars of clay? In 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 10, he talks about us in just that same venue. We are fragile, but we carry, Paul explains, a very powerful and very important truth within us, the message of Jesus through his Holy Spirit that lives within us. Let me read the verse to you again. It's 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. But we have this treasure, this message, this light. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We are the jars of clay carrying an amazing treasure within us that must be shared. Now, I am not a pottery aficionado. aficionado. I'm not this person who knows all about pottery, but I did do a little bit of research. And so I came up with um, the understanding that there are several different steps to making a clay pot. It is tedious, it is long, it requires heat. In fact, it requires lots and lots and lots of heat. And it isn't done on the first go-round. It is refined again and again and again to remove all of those rough edges. And I might add with a very, very sharp knife. Sounds very painful to me. It's quite a process. But what if the piece is cracked? What if the piece is not what it was? What if something happens and the piece is broken? Is it done? No longer any good? Well, I found a simple 16-step process for repairing the piece. And no, I will not share that with you. But what's my point? What did I learn by this research, by using this analogy out of Scripture? I learned that pottery is moldable. It's moldable into any shape that the potter desires. I learned that it takes time and effort, and it's a refining process to bring it to its true um, purpose. I learned that it is strong and unique. 
and I learned that it is beautiful and fragile. In the hands of the potter, we too are moldable and strengthened. We are unique and we are beautiful and we are fragile. The clay pot is not yet meant to be broken, but the cracks will come. But the potter knows how to repair the cracks. There is a healing process, and it will leave scars, and the result will look slightly different, but the vessel will still serve that unique purpose that it was made for. For the clay pot, you can still drink from the cup. For the man or the woman, you can still be used by God. Now, why do I share this message with you today? Because many of you already know my story. I've been very open to share it, not because of me, but because of the healing that has taken place in my own life, in and through Jesus, my true higher power. I was married one week after my 18th birthday. I had graduated high school early, and I was ready to move on with my life. We had it all planned out. In fact, we had even purchased a small house, and honestly, I wasn't even old enough to sign the papers for that purchase. I had worked many small, odd jobs and saved and saved and saved, and my husband did the same. We were blessed to start a family a year and a half after we were married. So then I was almost 20 by this time. We would eventually be blessed with two children. Now, the outside looked perfect, right? People even told me that. People told me, it's so, you've got such a perfect life. I went to college part-time while being a mom of two, I worked my career, and I just started building this life, this life that was not in any way, shape, or form dependent on God. I had been introduced to Jesus, but I did not move to get to know him until many years later in my life. Now, there is much to this story that I don't have the time to share with you, but in the end, the marriage fell apart. The outside appearance, that white picket fence idea, if you will, was only a mask to cover up all the struggles that were hidden behind. We even turned to some of those very things I mentioned earlier that provide that temporary relief, but they only caused more hurt in our life. They didn't work. So how did it all leave me in the end? Broken. This broken vessel, was it good for anything? It was not good for anything, I can tell you, in the broken state that it was in. The outside may have looked unblemished, may have looked strong to others, but there was a brokenness within me, a fragile state of mind, of heart, of soul. There was a scar that could not be ignored in my life. So I had to make a choice. I had to revisit all of that pain and sorrow, all of that loss, if I was really to find true healing in my life, I had to look at myself, and that was hard. I had to give up my plans. My strength was no longer enough. And most importantly, I had to seek my wholeness in Jesus, the only one who could provide healing for me. I was humbled, I can tell you, when I made my amends where needed, and I found peace when I forgave where needed. I sought guidance and help from those who went before me, and over time, I found true strength, and I found that wholeness in and through my Father in heaven. 
as I accepted him and as I accepted the mercy and the grace that he offered, over time, he took what was broken, he took what was different, and he did something amazing. He transformed it into a vessel that he could use for his good purpose. I will never forget the day that I stepped outside of that shame and guilt that accompanies divorce. It is humbling, and it left me so overwhelmingly grateful for Jesus' sacrifice for me. When you humble yourself to his mercy and to his grace, you truly experience his amazing love. Now, I did not seek him prior, but he accepted me anyway. And I pause for a minute to say, imagine if I did. Imagine if I had sought him. If we had sought him, what restoration could have taken place in our lives at that time? So I encourage you, if you are headed in that direction, seek him first because no struggle is too great. When I sought him finally, he revealed a path. He revealed a path that I could not have even imagined on my own. I went back to college and completed my degree. I told my story again and again in humility to those who would come around me to guide me, to direct me on this path of ministry because no secrets were going to hold me down or were going to hold me back from what God had intended for me to do. And so God opened the door for me to serve him. He took this broken, scarred jar of clay and he showed me mercy. I did not get what I deserved. And he showed me grace. He gave me life and he gave me a greater purpose to lean into. And I have to tell you, because of going through that time of pain, that time of healing, I have a a gratefulness and a love in my heart that I could not have even imagined beforehand. So I brought with me this beautiful bowl. Now this bowl began, just like any other bowl, as just a lump of clay and water, but in the potter's hand, it was formed and fired, and it was, um, all those rough ed- edges were taken off, and it was made into a bowl, a serving bowl that had a purpose. This bowl was given to me at my ordination ceremony, and I love it because you see it comes with a towel, and the towel and the bowl represent Jesus the servant who washed the disciples' feet. I love the idea of that. Because in that idea, I began began to understand that the comfort and the grace and the mercy and the love that he showed to me through my brokenness, through my cracked and struggling edges, I could now share with somebody else. Not, In fact, I had to share with somebody else. My past hurts and wrong choices created those cracks along the way, and they could have left me broken. They could have left me broken if I did not pause to heal, to grieve, and to rest. If I did not accept God's hand to guide me through the waters and protect me through the flames, they could have left me broken. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 14. It says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Now, you will never hear me say, 
that my divorce must have been a part of God's plan. It just is not true. But what did my Father in heaven do? He showed his abounding love and mercy and grace, and he sent his son, Jesus, in my place so that I might have life and live it abundantly. I heard a song this week as I was preparing for this by Lauren um, Daigle, and it said, it's the song is How Can It Be? And so I want to share a couple of words with you because they just bring this um, home for me just a little bit. It says, I am guilty, ashamed of what I've done and what I've become. These hands are dirty. I dare not lift them to the Holy One. I've been hiding, afraid that I have let you down. Inside, I doubt that you still love me. But in your eyes, there is only grace now. You plead my cause. You right my wrongs. You break my chains and you overcome. You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I am free. How can it be? Sometimes I think that. How can it be? But the Lord humbled me and he forgave me and he redeemed me and he showed me the changes that needed to be made in my own life and he helped me make those changes and he continues to help me make those changes. And he uses me. He showed me mercy. So maybe you are sitting there today as you watch this and you're wondering why are we talking about this in church? Because maybe you have some scars that need to be healed. Maybe you are stuck in the stigma, the pain, the shame, and the guilt that accompany divorce. Can I tell you that that also is not a part of God's plan to stay stuck in that pain and that stigma and that struggle? Take action. Take time to grieve, to rest, and to move into the healing that he offers. Let's be honest for a minute. Maybe you have been attending church all your life, and maybe you have not shown grace and mercy to others in this situation. Well, Jesus taught us through his word, through his actions, and through his spirit, yes, to share truth, but not without grace. And yes, to share grace, but not without truth. I was shown both in love by many, and I am so grateful to my church family who willingly showed me the character of Christ and loved me through it. Now, there's much more to my story. I am remarried now almost 23 years. In fact, next month, 23 years. We have six children between us and eight grandchildren. And when you add all our kids and their spouses, it's a crazy gathering. Now, I could not have experienced this joy without walking through the refining fire that God offered. Very hard to say, but I have to thank him for taking me through that healing journey, through that refining process. And I can with certainly tell you that redemption is a part of God's plan. Redemption is a part of God's plan. So if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to take some action. You can pray with me as we close. You can reach out to us because we would love to walk alongside you in this journey. If you are suffering, I want you to know that our faith is the only faith. Believing in our God who chose to suffer so that we could have life. He chose to suffer so that you and I could have life. I asked Dave to close with a song called To the Table. And I encourage you to hear the words of this song as we close. 
the message today. It begins with hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that waits for you and a friend who understands everything that you're going through. I encourage you today. It is worth taking a seat at his table and stepping out to meet him. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just are so grateful for the love and the grace that you show. We are so grateful that you don't leave us broken. You, the great potter who formed us from the beginning, knows how to heal us and bring us to an amazing place that we can be used by you for your glory. And so, Lord, if there are any out there who don't know you, even today, I pray that um, they would accept the hand that you offer, that they would reach up and grab the love that you want to give to them. Your grace and your mercy is available to each and every one of us. So, Lord, we love you. I thank you for the grace and mercy that you offer to me. And I pray that others would experience that same mercy in their own life. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in the name of Jesus.